0: When I graduated high school, I did a ton of research because there were just so many colleges to choose from. But with one-on-one attention, hands-on experience,
1: and flexible courses, UCCS fuels success.
0: To pursue my passion, I needed more than a degree. So with innovative programs, affordable tuition, and an inspiring campus, it was a no-brainer.
1: UCCS fuels success. Apply today at uccs.edu. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zirniel and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zirniel. Well,
0: good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm your host, Ron Aaron, and our normal co-host is unavailable today. Carol Zernial is on special assignment, and so we are lucky and fortunate to welcome as our co-host, Dr. Jamie Heisman. Uh, Dr. Heisman is a licensed clinical social worker, has a degree in psychology, a doctorate in psychology. He is chief compassion officer at Wellman Medical Management Dr. Heisman has more than 30 years of medical and behavioral health experience in nonprofit and for-profit corporate leadership roles. He is an author, an engaging motivational speaker, and a whole lot more. And Jamie Heisman, it is wonderful to have you here co-hosting today.
2: Oh, Ron, it brings back memories. You and I used to co-host a show, I think, in Florida, we in did. Orlando, and... Uh... Boy, they they all kept calling me, is where's this Ron Aaron guy? Where's this Ron Aaron guy? And I kept saying, You ever heard of a place called San Antonio? (laughs) I said, That's where the media moguls are. So, anyway, it's good to be back. It's good to connect with you.
0: Well, one of the things, and for those who are regular listeners to Caregiver SOS on Air, may also know that you, along with Carol Zurniel and I, co host Take 10, and, and it's a weekly discussion of issues related to mental health and all kinds of topics that spin out of that. And so having you here today as co-host on Caregiver SOS on air, I wanted to throw out a topic that I picked up in one of the WellMed Medical Management and WellMed Charitable Foundation publications dealing with caregiving and depression. And and apparently, uh, it's a huge issue.
2: Well, Ron, I'm thankful that you do this because you couldn't talk about depression and caregivers enough. If we thought we covered it, you know, once, twice, three times, it's never, ever, ever going to be enough because this is to me and, and to anybody, any psychologist or social worker, or any mental health professional is the silent health crisis of caregiving. Literally. I mean, we know the conservative estimates, okay, is that 20%, 20% of family caregivers suffer from depression, twice the rate of general population. So, I mean, it's really pandemic. We're talking about pandemic with coronavirus. Yes, no doubt. It's a killer. But when we talk about depression, we don't know how much of a, of a medical sort of instigator it is of death and mayhem either. So we couldn't talk about it.
0: And, and for the caregiver, um, many of whom, and we've talked about this over and over again. Uh, first of all, think of the Lone Ranger that no one else is or can do what they're doing. Uh, they have a desire and a belief that, they must do everything themselves. They don't ask for help. Uh, they don't reach out. Uh, and they work, in, in some cases, more hours in a given day than anybody should be able to work or, or ask to work. Uh, and, and that, in, in some ways, Dr. Heisman, leads to depression, does it not?
2: It does. In fact, depression is the great exacerbator of all things medical, psychological, and social in a caregiver's life. But you're describing Superman or superwoman. That's what we are as caregivers. We put a cape on, we become the hero, we try to help and save the person in front of us. We forget entirely, entirely about our own physical and emotional needs. Uh, and in that, the resulting sort of forgetting about that creates anger, okay, that we stuff inside. That's the definition of depression, which is anger turned inward, sadness, isolation, exhaustion all of these uh, a exactly huge toll on caregiving, but the basis of it is depression.
0: Now, my mother was caring for my dad who had dementia, uh, and it's the old Jewish mother's joke. Uh, I would call her, my brother, who's also like you, a PhD psychologist, uh, he would call her and say, you know, mom, we want to get you some help. We we sent folks to come help you. And her answer was, I can do it alone. Don't worry about it. I took seriously in sickness and in health. And I'm going to do this.
2: You know, your mom, like many of her generation, and many people today who erroneously think of depression as a weakness, saw it as something she couldn't speak about, saw it that she would be out of balance. She thought to herself and her generation that you could snap out of it and it's all in your head. But we know it's a biologically predisposed, psychologically induced and socially reinforced phenomena. And there's no way No way, if it goes beyond a certain amount of time, which is usually two weeks for a good psychiatrist to do an assessment, that you can just snap out of it. There are things that you need to do.
0: And there are some red flags in the uh, article that I saw uh, at uh, uh, the Cheryl Foundation's publication, and and they deal with signs that you may be depressed. And, And I'd like to run through those with you and you can talk about them. One is if you are sad and discouraged and your mood is always down.
2: Yes, it's a general malaise. Depression is the great energy vampire. There is no way we feel like waking up and going and having a good day, pulling ourselves, quote unquote, up from our bootstraps, which is that terrible toxic positivity we hear from the environment. We just want to stay in bed. We just want to chill. In fact, probably our sleep has been affected terribly. Um, So often there's too much sleep, Or not enough, but we're tired all the time, just as an energy vampire's goal is.
0: Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zirnial, our co-host on special assignment today. And we're delighted to have Dr. Jamie Heisman filling in. He is a PhD psychologist and expert on caregiving and addictions as well. And Dr. Heisman, uh, one of the other examples of a red flag, if you are Always down. The glass is always half full, that you don't see any hope for the future. You don't see any help uh, coming your way, and that the past was worse uh, than you'd ever imagined.
2: Yeah, well, clinically, we have to discern a lot of people are like that even without depression. (laughs) For some reason, you know, childhood, which is the adverse childhood experiences, we don't need to get into very deep clinical discourse here. But if you came out of a household that didn't have the best parenting or was a little chaotic, you came out pretty distrustful and life was looking pretty distrustful. So you looked at life in sort of a, you know, negative way, paranoid way. I got to get it before it gets me way. So a lot of people, you know, I I would say from poor parenting or difficult, you know, personal caregiving before between zero and 10 came out looking like that. But we have to discern between that and clinical depression, which is a biochemical issue. Literally our neurotransmitter shift, the dopamine in our brain becomes less You know, this is a different sort of way. So if you're seeing somebody who maybe saw life in a particular way, okay, it's all right. I'm curious. I can look at it. Then you start seeing the person have that change of behavior you're describing then the person gets down, seeing life in a very difficult way. Nothing is good uh, and nothing is good enough. Then you see a difference. Okay, that's what we look at for red flags, you know, changes in eating habits, changing and sleeping, or somebody's changed entirely in their mood where they are okay. Maybe they didn't have to be elated. Life can be suffering, but we still get through it. But they then go into an agitated, angered and distrustful place. That's when we know depression has hit.
0: Then another one of the red flags. Uh, loss of interest in work, hobbies, social life, sex, anything around you. You just have no interest.
2: You don't. Depression triggers all that we've not resolved in our lives already. But to what you're describing is that loss of all those things is literally almost a biochemical issue. So if our, our, our lives are in the middle of depression and anxiety, um, I can tell you the inflammation, the cortisol levels of our body, the things are going inside of us that literally are being depleted almost as we go the cells being depleted in depression create a change that of malaise we just don't want to go we don't have the energy to even move nothing seems to motivate us so biochemically it's working totally against us and anything out there that can engage us and by the way what you're describing is engagement things that can literally jazz us up somehow get us on a lily pad to get somewhere are all the things now that we push ourselves away from. It's happening biochemically. It's happening psychosocially.
0: For those who suffer from that lack of interest in anything around them, uh, do they know they may have a problem?
2: I think they do. I think people are cognizant. If they don't, not like, quite like your mother and, and say, pull ourselves right. up from the bootstraps and that I can snap out of it. I think they feel the changes. Over time, okay, they start seeing that this wasn't the same person as before. Um, let's face it. Let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, real living room. Depression will create this suicidal ideations that, you know, thoughts of death or suicide. I don't want to be here um, and, and I'm not worth it to even go out and see somebody to get better. So I do believe that people don't live in that state. Even those who saw life in a more distressful way don't live in that particular state of mind. So I think we do get tired literally of that being the rule for us. And we can't engage. We can't, as a caregiver, engage with our loved one's health and healing. We can't engage with the work that you described. I mean, so the issue is we're not engaging with ourselves initially. So anything around us is that energy vampire if you have clinical depression.
0: Another one of the red flags, difficulty in making decisions. Now, there are people, and we all have known some, who may not be depressed, can't make decisions anyhow. But this could be a red flag.
2: Absolutely. And that red flag gets confused for other neurological disorders. <clears throat> when we wrote the book, Take Your Oxygen First, which were caregivers and neurological disorders, we really had a, a special chapter just out to that, that maybe it's not Alzheimer's, maybe it's not Parkinson's, because guess what? Depression and the symptoms around depression, especially, like you say, making decisions, our cognitive ability to be sharper th- th- so we can make decisions literally subsides. Our memory, if you will, our short-term memory seems to subside. So, people out there in our ecosphere starts thinking, oh, they're missing it. Neurological mm, issue. Mm, let's get them assessed and evaluated. So, it's important to get assessed and evaluated because guess what? Most of the time, it's not Alzheimer's. Most of the time, it's not Parkinson's. Most of the time, it really is clinical depression, which, and Kevin's, is treatable.
0: And we'll talk about that in a little while. Another one of the red flags lack of energy and feeling slowed down, just not being who you used to be.
2: Well, you said it right there. That's the definition, working definition, not being who you used to be. You know, people experience depression in different ways. OK, the type and degree, you know, change over time. But when we don't feel like, you know, we feel like the night of living dead. OK, or even worse, so if you ever watch that movie, The Walking yeah. Dead, we're just one of many and we're not really significant. We're not unique and we're just tired all the time, but not just tired, but sick and tired Of everything until we get sick and tired of being sick and tired and then go get some help, we're definitely going to be in trouble. But, you know, worse yet, I think, and I think that it's not worse yet, I shouldn't say, because we are the key. But if you are charged with what you said, this $400 billion in kind care of the world of caregiving, taking care of other people, what we've just described in the last 10 minutes, I mean, how much would a caree going through a chronic terminal or acute illness really want to be? with a person that has the symptoms that you're describing?
0: The answer is they wouldn't.
2: They wouldn't. They're already fearful. They're already upset. Their life has already been turned upside down, topsy-turvy. Chronic terminal acute illness will do that. We're no longer, you know, immortal. So wouldn't you want to be in a safe place with a safe person, with a person who's kind of grounded? So all of these things are, are feed into the martyr sometimes. And unfortunately, we don't need to be the martyr, okay? We just don't.
0: We'll continue this in a moment. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air, and we are so pleased you are with us. Stick with us. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not-normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friends. We are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zernial, is on special assignment today, and we are delighted to have Dr. Jamie Heisman with us, an expert on caregiving as well as addictions. And we're talking about depression and caregivers. Unfortunately, that often goes hand in hand. And we're working through a list of red flags that might indicate uh, whether someone indeed is depressed. And we'll talk as well about treatment because there are marvelous treatments for depression, and Dr. Heisman will share those with us. We went through a list, and we're continuing through that list, Dr. Heisman. Restlessness and irritability on that list, sign of depression?
2: Yes, it certainly is. Again, irritability and restlessness is a function of anger turned inward, right? Let's face it, there's a continuum. If our caregivers can think about that as a continuum. So anger turned inward is one end of the continuum, and that's depression. What's the worst anger turned inward? right? That's suicide. So the other side of the continuum, when you have anger and it's turned outward, right? It's not suicide, it's homicide. So understand that anger turned inward is depression. Anger turned outward can be exactly what I just described. So agitation is a form of stuffing the, the anger. And agitation, if it's different than the way we operate in our lives, can be a real indicator. So Loved ones should be, and I'm talking about long distance caregivers should be very mindful of the primary caregiver going through this again, because we know the function of them is not to make their carees miserable, but they should also see, is my loved one agitated? That's taking care of mom or dad. Is my loved one having sleep issues? Okay. sleep is another piece that'll create agitation. You know, it shows up in sleep, depression more than anything. People who are depressed will wake up very early in the morning, eyes open up and can't go to sleep. Also, conversely, they can't go to sleep because they have a myriad of traumatic things that keep coming up because there's a, I call a, a, a tunnel of being victim and, and executioner. Our minds go into this thought process in depression where we can't pull ourselves out of that tornado of hell.
0: Loss of appetite and loss of weight, another red flag. There are a lot of folks who would love to have loss of appetite and loss of weight, especially having put on the COVID-20.
2: Yeah, and I've seen this on uh, both sides of the equation. I've seen a lot of gaining weight where people don't care anymore about their personal appearance. they don't care, and food can be an anxiety decreaser, like late at night, so if you're feeling depressed, you will go to it, you'll gain weight. Those who are going through depression and somewhat trauma, and trauma, I think, is an underpinning of so much, and depression can trigger unresolved trauma, those will start losing weight. They literally will not be cognizant somehow of eating and getting mindful about times they're supposed to eat. And they'll just forget about it. So I've seen it go on two sides of the equation. It's when trauma gets engaged uh, in that depression that we start seeing the loss of weight fast and furiously, by the way.
0: Another on the list: depressive, gloomy, or desolate
1: dreams.
2: Hmm. Yes. Well, sleep is the sleep is the greatest indicator of depression you can imagine. It's also the greatest indicator of you know complex PTSD, child PTSD. It's hard, if you will, to even get to sleep when you have these thoughts, these doom and gloom thoughts. Um, I don't dream much in terms of actual dreams and images and Jungian interpretive sort of things. So I'm not sure that the dark and gloomy dreams is not what I also have, too. But I can certainly tell you that we need to be very mindful of our sleep patterns and rather than just dreams. If we can't close our eyes, if we can't, literally they're, they're open and we can't sleep. Obviously, we need to learn sleep hygiene and figure this out. we got to give ourselves all the break we can. But a real indicator, again, around sleep, you may wake up at 3, 4, 5 in the morning and not be able to close your eyes. Wow. Then I can tell you that deep clinical endogenous depression, that's the greatest indicator. We do that over time, next for a couple of weeks, to go see your psychiatrist.
0: And when you talk about sleep and sleep problems, uh, lots of folks try to self-medicate. They'll go for over-the-counter sleep aids or maybe turn to alcohol.
2: Yeah, over-the-counter would be a good thing, wouldn't it? i know people just going wild on on alprazolone, Valium, Xanax, anything that will help them sleep. They become desperate to go sleep, and they'll get into this cycle, unfortunately, where medication or pharmacology is the the rule, not the exception. And we all know that's a bad long-term plan. On a short-term basis, if you've a good physician watching over you, you know, I cannot negate what that physician says. But I think we'd be very, very mindful before we go down that medication road. Because literally what we're doing is creating a habit. And so that habit is reach for the pill and take it. Usually one is okay today, but two might be better next week. Three, you just fill in the blanks.
0: And what about alcohol? I know as an wow. addiction therapist, you spend a lot of time uh, trying to help folks who are addicted.
2: We do, and alcohol is a great depressant unto itself. It doesn't help at all in depression. Yes, it helps us to disassociate. Yes, it helps us to escape that moment when you wake up the next day, right? Guess what? You're not going to be not only not more empowered, you're going to be more mood depressed. So it's a very short-term solution, but creates long-term problems. Alcohol is one of the great depressants of our time. OK, so if you're looking to snap out, quote unquote, like your mom with depression, well, the last thing you want to do is start drinking to disassociate and get rid of it and to mask it.
0: So let's talk about what we can do to help folks who are depressed. The old you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. If if you have a, a colleague who is a caregiver and you know they're depressed or a loved one and you're a long distance member of the family, what can you do to help them and how can they be helped?
2: Well. This is a good thing to talk about because unlike a lot of diagnoses that we have in the clinical world, I mean, early attention to symptoms of depression really can help us prevent the development of more serious depression over time. So if we're mindful and let's say our loved ones, look, I'm saying loved ones, if you're a long distance caregiver and you're watching your primary caregiver, your family member go through any of this, it's so important for us to have attention to them to understand that so it doesn't develop more serious. So number one, if it's a genetically predisposed condition, then what depression can do is trigger genetic predisposition, obviously. At that point in time, if your depression is lasting more than two weeks, and a lot of things can pull it all together, but two weeks seems a magical number in our, our world, Diagnostic statistical, manual, and psychology, then I say go see a psychiatrist because guess what? Psychopharmacology, which is the first leg of the stool, the medical, does work. We've come so far in the treatment of depression using medication, but medication needs to be prescribed properly. It needs to be tried because certain people can take certain antidepressants and certain people cannot, and it needs to be monitored. So start looking at that and don't see, don't throw that away because we've come very far in the treatment of depression on a medical basis. But to your point, I'm happy to answer questions what we can personally do uh, alongside of our physician's recommendation.
0: And as a psychologist, uh, you have to believe talk therapy can be effective as well.
2: Yeah. Now, talk therapy, again, as a psychologist, I'll tell you can. But when you go too deep with a depressed client, you're going to be creating what's called emotional flashbacks. So we look at cognitive behavioral therapy, usually if somebody has depression. What is that? Well, that's the reframing of reality. Okay. So in cognitive behavioral, we may ask a client to set realistic goals in, in light of the depression and assume like a, a reasonable amount of responsibility in their lives. We may ask them to break uh large tasks into small ones and set priorities and do what they can do. Because as we said, they don't have energy or motivation and not have these unrealistic expectations, right? In cognitive behavioral therapy, we'll ask somebody to 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 confide in somebody, a safe person, a person they trust. It's so much better than being alone and secretive and living with this health. So, you know, these are things that we can do in cognitive behavioral therapy. We ask our clients to do um, that can help them get out of the funk along with their doctor.
0: And what role in all of this uh, does diet and exercise play? Huge
2: role, huge role. Now diet, I'm not a great nutritionist. I wish I could adhere to the, Nutritional <laughs> principles that I
0: accept. Yeah, all of us.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's not good. I've just been on the road for several days, and I know that's, that's really tough. But I will say that, you know, not just exercise, but getting the endorphins in your life going, getting the, the neurotransmitters kicked in. Walking, don't have to be Jack LaLanne. I think those are int- who are listening to this may be right. maybe the older caregiver. But That was the old guy. Have, yeah, you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger either. You can just understand that what we're trying to do to get somebody out of depression is create, I know this is going to be difficult sometimes, but new neural pathways. So the old neural pathways are depressed. How do we create new ones? Well, you know, like you said, exercise. Well, let's go on out and just walk. Let's just go out and get some sunlight. let's let's hope we do start things things with our new neural pathways like like breath work or you know yoga Uh, but it's allowing our mood to slowly improve gradually and when we do these things which are just stress reduction techniques guess what our self-esteem builds and it builds to a point where we can then start helping our therapist and our physician and ourselves get out of this depression
0: sometimes people are depressed for good reason i remember after my dad passed away, I had a conversation with my mom and I said, you know, mom, I think you're depressed. She said, Ronnie, your dad's dead. I'm all alone. Of course, I'm depressed.
2: Absolutely. She, and She's 100% right. And we never want to discount those feelings. I mean, I can't think of a more depressing moment for sure. But moments turn into days, days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into, guess what, a diagnosis. So I get it. It's just like grief. Like you just, your mom is giving a great example of grief. Okay. When Elizabeth Kubler-Ross asks us to go through the stages of grief, we do. It's parallel, sequential. We go through it. But listen, if it takes longer than two or three weeks, it turns into complicated grief. Complicated grief turns into clinical depression. So she's right. She's dead, dead right. We don't want to absolutely discount her feelings. And we want to make sure that we're giving her this hopeful sort of situation, this cognitive behavioral way to gradually get in touch with it. <clears throat> know that which has caring family members around her. However, when that becomes the rule and not the exception, it's time to look at it. It's time to treat it. And it's time for the whole family to wrap their arms around the person who has it.
0: Gotta stop you right there, Dr. Jamie Heisman. Thank you so much. Caregivers Depression, and it was a great half hour. Appreciate you being here, Jamie.
2: My, my you pleasure. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: For Dr. Jamie Heisman for Carol Zernial. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you again soon right here. On Caregiver, S-O-S, on air.
1: Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. The policy has no fine print. It's clear what's covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this pet store is protected by three. Joe, did you leave the snake tank open? Look, I don't want to point fingers, but yes. It's biting (laughs) me! sir! I'm calling my lawyer. They're going to need some help with this mess. Luckily, they have three. No fine print, just exceptional coverage. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three. No nonsense, just common
2: sense.